Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Do you ever grind your teeth when you're stressed or when you're sick or just all the time? I know I do and it's something that really uh, I notice in myself, but of course my patients do. We see it all the time. It's something that uh, many of our patients are wearing down the teeth. They might be getting some pain. They might be having some other issues associated with the bruxism. And it's something that we really do need to understand. We need to identify and we need to manage for our patients. We're not here just to fix a tooth. We're here to guide them in oral health. Dr. Damien Teo has focused his career on bruxism, TMD, and sleep apnea. These things are intimately intertwined and we can't learn about one without the other. In this series, we're going to go through three different podcasts about bruxism, TMD, and sleep apnea. And Damien's here to share his knowledge and help us understand these things, although in a podcast, it can only be superficial. I think the call to action after these are really to learn more and to make sure we're seeing, understanding and treating these for our patients in the best way possible. Dr. Damien Teo is making an effort to really teach us, the dental profession, about these things. He's focused on this, he's passionate about this and he's made a Facebook group called Sleep and TMJ Study Club. He's also made a website, sleeptmjstudyclub.com but he's actually open to messaging him. Just reach out, say g'day, friend him on Facebook, send a message, ask about a case. He's also shared his email and you'll find all this in the show notes. So this is a three-part series. The first is bruxism, then TMD, then sleep apnea to tie it all together. Today, bruxism. And he shares some information about why people brux, how to treat it, but more importantly, how you should be thinking about it. Lots of doctors and dentists, um, so the health profession as a whole, don't recognize what bruxism really is. So in dentistry, for example, we'll see a patient who comes in and their main complaint is bruxism. And we'll just think, oh, bruxism, I need, they're growing a teeth, I need to protect the teeth. Doctors will see similar as well. Like a, uh, a patient will go see a GP, tell, tell them, oh, I'm growing my teeth. Doctor will say, oh, go see a dentist. They think the dentist should fix them. And that's perfectly plausible because teeth, jaw, let's go see a dentist. Now, um, the big... Um, fallacy most of us uh, health professionals are making is we don't know what bruxism is. We think bruxism is the diagnosis of a problem like um, cancer or heart disease or diabetes. But what we really should realize is bruxism is um, not just a problem. It's also a symptom of an underlying problem. And if we don't recognize it's a symptom of an underlying problem, then we treat it, uh, we don't treat it properly because we missed the underlying problem that Bruxism is actually trying to alert to us. So um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine actually defined sleep Bruxism as a sleep-related movement disorder. So the condition sleep Bruxism itself is actually a sleep movement disorder, which is similar similar to like um, uh, sleepwalking or sleep talking or restless leg syndrome, um, et cetera. So, it's actually been categorized as a sleep disorder um, since 2005. So when 2020 now, it's been 15 years that the sleep, American Sleep Association has recognized it's been a sleep disorder. Though I was in 
undergrad university for dentistry in 2008. That's when I started and never heard about sleep bruxism being related to sleep conditions. And it's not our university's fault because lots of dental universities and medical doctors and even sleep physicians still don't, uh, don't know this fact as well. So it's a very overlooked um, fact. And then um, over the years, um, more and more doctors, both dentists and medical doctors have looked more into sleep bruxism and its relationship with sleep. And what's become more and more evident is sleep bruxism is quite closely related to our brain functioning during sleep. And what we now realize is anything that disturbs our sleep at night will make us grind our teeth. So classic example is our patients who are stressed, the ones with anxiety or exams coming up or um, a work deadline, etc. We see it, uh, oh yeah, they're stressing, they're grinding their teeth. And that's pretty much everyone in the population. We will all grind if we've got stress. Every dental student out there. Yep, that's correct. Every <laughs> dental student, every exam student, every, everyone. It's normal to have stresses. But what's not normal is if we, have other under, if we have other underlying health conditions, which also make us grind our teeth. So the big um, catchphrase with grinding these days in dentistry is airways and uh, sleep apnea. Sleep bruxism is actually related to sleep apnea and um, sleep disorders. Hence, it's been recognized as a sleep disorder by um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So the reason people who can't breathe properly at night and that will manifest either snoring or sleep apnea, which is choking, they will then um, clench or grind their teeth to help them breathe better. What the clenching and grinding at night is doing is it's tensing their jaw muscles, it's tensing their masters, their digastrics, their, um, all their throat and breathing muscles to help open their airway, keep their airway patent. But the downside of that is when they tense and spasm these muscles, they start breaking down their teeth, start causing TMJ problems, headaches, jaw pain, etc. And then we as dentists, we see, oh, they're grinding, their teeth are wearing down. Let's make something to protect their teeth, take pressure off their TMJs, etc. But then we don't realize, oh, they're actually snoring at night. They're not, they're not breathing properly at night. And quite uh, sometimes the research has shown that if we then make um, just a normal grinding splint for someone, and if they have sleep apnea, the grinding splint can block their airway even more mm. and make a sleep apnea worse. And if their sleep apnea gets worse, then they can start grind, they can grind even more and create more jaw pain or headaches. And then these can be the patients who say, hey, that splint you made me, it's actually making things worse. I'm waking up with more pain and um, I'm sleeping even, um, I can't even sleep properly with the splint. Is there different um, patterns that classically alert you to different things? Like for instance, localized anterior wear versus generalized wear? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, there is quite a lot of different patterns in wear that you would see. And I'd have to say majority of grinders who I see who have an underlying sleep breathing issue, they would normally have um, lower anterior teeth wear. Mm -hmm. So their posteriors, upper and lower posteriors, will be perfectly fine, um, but the lower anteriors and maybe the upper anteriors as well, they may, those will be worn down. And the uh, degree of wear, it doesn't really matter how much wear there is. So the amount of wear doesn't always correlate to how much they're grinding or how bad they're grinding. 
I've seen patients where they say they're grinding every night and they have heaps of jaw pain in the morning. But when I look at their teeth, if I see, hey, there's no wear or tear. If you didn't tell me you were grinding, I would never have guessed it just from wear and tear. Um, but then I've seen the complete opposite where people have completely ground their teeth to nothing, but they say, oh, I don't grind. I feel I don't have any headaches or jaw pain. <laughs> so another big problem um, or big mistake dentists and doctors make is we correlate the amount of wear and tear we see on their teeth with the amount of grinding that people are doing. But it's not a um, complete um, correlation. It's more so I go from the symptoms and the history the patient is telling me. I remember when I learned these different patterns and some of the things you've just explained, like anterior localized wear or posterior wear or, or fractures from clenching and the differences. I remember just having my eyes completely opened. And, and it's something that um, I, I I agree. We, you know, we don't really get a solid foundation in university, I guess, depending on where you're trained. Um, when we're thinking about these bruxism patients as a more broad thing and a more general advice, um, what should the general dentist be thinking about and what steps should we kind of proceed through for our patients? Mm. So when we see bruxism, we should be thinking of it as a sign of something else going on. And we should be, when we see bruxism, we should think, okay, this person is bruxing. I don't have to treat the bruxism. I need to treat the cause of the bruxism. And that's the big um, keyword people should take away from this. Bruxism is a symptom of an underlying cause. I've always been fascinated by the intersection of aesthetics and digital dentistry. It's definitely one of the main things that got me excited about dentistry when I was a student. And to provide these aesthetic solutions, we really need to align the teeth or be able to combine alignment with restorative procedures. My journey in doing this has just begun, but I've started with Invisalign Go and now I've done the fundamentals program as well. The technology side of this has astounded me the most. You can take a scan of your patients with Itero and show them a simulation of what we might be able to do. You take photos on your phone, upload them instantly, and then you can design where you want the teeth to be in the ClinCheck program online and show your patient. The ability to communicate and the predictability is amazing. And while I'm just on the beginning of my journey, Invisalign digital dentistry and aesthetics is what excites me the most. So what causes are we thinking? Obviously, we've gone through sleep apnea. It's a key one that people are really having their eyes open to. Mm. Um, stress is obviously another big one. What other mm. major ones or things should we be thinking about? Yeah, so um, when we look into the literature for sleep bruxism, when they were looking into studying it in sleep, they thought, oh, it's just because people are choking at night and they're grinding their teeth. But when they did more research, they actually found it's a lot more deeper than that. And it's not just a mechanical blocking of the airway that's making them grind their teeth. They found actually the, a neurological response in our brain. So they found out that um, if we, our brain gets stressed at night while we're sleeping, that will make us grind our teeth. So basically anything that causes stress into our sleep will make us grind. Now, um, if we can't breathe at night or we're choking at night, that's a stress. So it's not just a mechanical blocking of the airway. It's more so, hey, I'm suffocating. Um, I can't breathe. Mm. Basically, what they found was is whenever we grind our teeth at night, our brain is activating and we're going to the fight-flight response. So at night when we're sleeping, we should just be in a parasympathetic relaxed state. We shouldn't be scared of a lion or tiger attacking us. 
<laughs> but um, these people who are growing their teeth, their brain is waking up and going, oh, crap, um, I'm in a fight-flight state. Something is wrong. I need to grind my inner reflexes then. Um, sympathetic nervous system activates and our muscles tense and we start growing our teeth. Um, so then if we think of it that way as bruxing is a symptom of the fight-flight response, then we can just think, oh, what can stimulate the fight-flight response in a human? Well, obviously, a lion or tiger attacking us. <laughs> but then um, it goes to lots of other things. So that's where our stress comes in. So um, everyday life stress, exams, work, etc. And then there's other stresses which get on in our life which we don't recognize as stresses, such as the classic one is chronic pain or an injury. So it's very, that's also how TMD and bruxism are linked together. Most of these TMD patients have had chronic jaw pain for years or headaches, migraines, people with fibromyalgia or chronic back pain, etc. Then if people have had an injury, such as like a sport injury or an old injury from years ago, that could also cause chronic pain. Sleep apnea is a, um, a stress itself, so we're not breathing properly. It'll make us grind our teeth because it's suffocating, is making us activate our fight-fight response. And then it can also be very innocuous things that we don't take into account that happens daily to us. So um, hormone changes. Quite a lot of my um, patients I see who are bruxes are females. And I normally ask them, do they notice if their pain or bruxism gets worse when they have hormone changes, such as when they have their period or if they're pregnant or if they go post-menopause? And another um, interesting fact is there is a link between menopause and um, sleep apnea. And it is a link between women getting pregnant and having more sleep apnea because not just because they put more weight, but because their hormones as they change as well. So um, it is a very interesting distinction um, that our hormones can also play stress, yeah, it can create more stress to our body and make us grind our teeth. Because it's not just hormones during pregnancy. We have to remember that stress in our body is a hormonal response. It's yeah. the um, rise of cortisol and other and um, adrenaline and other stress hormones. And that rise of the stress hormones is what will then activate the fight flight response, make us grind our teeth. I had no idea about the hormone relationship there. Obviously, the stress hormone relationship, but then the, the other hormone relationships, it's really um, actually I can think of patients in my mind where that's a question I could have asked. Um, mm. you, you were going to say another, another point? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we basically, we were just talking about how um, the fight-flight response is what's causing us to grind. And um, we basically said there's, like, chronic pain, there's injuries, there's hormones, there's, um, there's um, sleep apnea and breathing issues. And then it can be also very other innocuous things which go on in our life, such as um, diet issues. So, people, if they eat foods that they're intolerant to, such as like glutens or dairies or sugars or um, just something that doesn't agree with them, that can also make their grind their teeth because the body has to think, oh, I can't digest this food properly. That's an extra stress for them. I mean, they start grinding more. Um, I've sometimes I've seen people where they say, oh, it's only during winter or during summer or during hay fever season, I can clench or grind my teeth because the brain is all thinking, oh, it's too cold or it's too hot or, um, or their body is just too sensitive to these subtle changes. Mm -hmm. And basically the take-home message from that is any sort of stressor in our life can make us clench or grind our teeth. And it's not necessarily just one thing. It could be a combination of things. 
I could have a very big um, deep fried food uh, meal for dinner. And then I have my hay fever and then um, also have um, a headache. All those things, and then I go to sleep, will just make my brain think, oh, crap, I can't sleep at all. I'm just going to grind my teeth all night. It's, it's really interesting the way you're explaining this because I haven't really thought about it in that way. I grind like crazy. I have since I was young. I wear a night guard, a splint mm. every night. Um, yeah. And when I'm unwell, I definitely grind more. So I'm stressed. You know, my body's mm. under stress. It's really interesting. Um, speaking of splints, make a comment on splints. Um, obviously, the knee-jerk reaction for the dentist for the last, you know, 40 years has just been like, oh, just give them a splint. Is there anything you could add to that um, or some advice or guidance uh, for dentists? Yeah. Mm. So, with splints, um, most of us will have that knee-jerk response, and I did as well, and I still do. <laughs> but, um, oh, the grinding, I need to make something to protect it because... Um, I guess it's because it's partly a fault of our profession. When a patient comes into us, we see simple problems of like, oh, they've got a hole or they've got a crack or they've got perio. And for us, it's like, oh, you know, perio, we clean. Um, caries, we drill. Um, a crack, maybe endo or exo. So it's very simple, um, sort of, like, it's very simple to problem solve what we need to do. So then when we see someone grinding, we just think, oh, split because it's um, that's just a mindset we've already got for most of the things we see. If we make a splint, as I sort of mentioned before, sometimes it can make the problem worse if there's a breathing issue or sleep apnea issue. So what we need to um, detract ourselves from when we see a grinding patient is we have to slow down. We're so used to saying, oh, there's a problem. I need to jump in and fix it straight away or fix it in the next visit. So we're so used to seeing, yep, there's a filling or caries here. I'll fi I can fix it today or tomorrow when they come in. With grinding, it's not just, oh, I'll just take an impression straight away and make the splint. We have to step back and slow down and say, okay, they're grinding. I should do a bit more testing and looking into it. And then, yes, potentially I know I will either be making a splint or maybe a sleep apnea splint because we've got two different types of splints available to us as dentists. Mm. So rather than just jumping in straight away and saying, oh yeah, I can make you splint today. The patient can wait another few days or a few weeks to get a few tests done to confirm what's causing their grinding. And um, a very, the most baseline test would be doing a sleep study to confirm mm. if, they are, if they have any sleep apnea and if they're breathing properly at night. And if they do have sleep apnea, then it's like, okay, well, now we know, yes, I'm still going to make you a splint, but instead of just a regular Michigan splint, I'll make it a sleep apnea mandibular embarrassment splint. It's still going to protect the teeth, though it will also treat their sleep apnea, which is the underlying cause. 3M Clean Pro White Varnish, 5% sodium fluoride with tricalcium phosphate for a targeted and sustained fluoride and calcium release. Climpro white varnish flows across two surfaces when it comes in contact with saliva, releasing fluoride and calcium over the life of the varnish, up to 24 hours. Studies have shown the longer a varnish is in contact with teeth, the more effective it is. Simply put, if you're going to apply a fluoride varnish, staying in contact matters. So why not consider 3M Climpro white varnish? Visit the show notes to request a sample and see the studies. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you 3M for supporting Dental Head Start podcast. 
It's really interesting to think about the different splints and I think it's something that we don't really get a good understanding of from university. So I really appreciate you sharing that. But are there other ways we can also treat bruxism? Um, when I see most of my bruxism patients, majority of them aren't just getting a splint. Some of them will be having other treatments at the same time because um, bruxism is a normally a symptom of an underlying condition going on. So most of my patients, they would be seeing some sort of um, physical therapy person, most likely a physiotherapist or maybe a chiropractor or an osteopath who really knows how the TMJ works and uh, uh, muscles mastication in particular. And sometimes just by releasing these muscles properly and especially working on the neck and the shoulders can help loosen it up and um, make the person grind less because sometimes they're grinding their teeth because these muscles are just too tight and too sore and they're just being overstimulated. So it's just like if we go to a gym and our biceps or our other muscles are too sore um, and too tight and overworked, they'll feel, um, they'll feel too, much, um, too much pain and pressure. That's the same with bruxism as well. Um, other modalities as well out there can be like some medications, like there are some medic, um, like muscle relaxants, um, um, which can be used to help bruxism, though I don't prescribe them often. And then um, I also do talk to my patients a lot about their lifestyle um, because if they're in a very high stress environment or um, if they've got lots of um, stressors going on that in their life, um, such as like family issues or um, exams or even just chronic pain or sleep apnea, as we've mentioned. Um, these are all stressors which will stimulate them to grind their teeth. So I do talk to patients about um, are they exercising properly? Are they eating well? Are they sleeping well? Um, are they um, getting, <laughs> getting um, up in the morning feeling fresh, etc.? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask exactly that. Are there any specific questions or a line of questioning that you'll go down? Obviously, you just touched on sleep and other stresses. Are there other questions you might ask your patients? Yeah, so I generally always do ask about sleep because that's one of the most common and easiest things to identify. And if we can get rid of the most common, easiest thing first, then if there's anything else underneath, then those are um, those will be um, shown afterwards. So I normally do ask if they if they snore, if they get a good night's sleep, um, if they feel fresh in the morning, and then those will basically be the sleep sore questions. Then I ask them like breathing or airway questions. Um, do they breathe from their mouth or their nose? Do they feel their nose is blocked a lot during the day? Um, do they have any history of tonsillitis or airway issues? And then I would then ask um, other questions like, do they have any chronic pain in their body like TMJ pain or headaches, neck pain, et cetera, or any injuries that they've had in the past? And then um, just get a general idea of their lifestyle, like are they very sedentary or are they pre-active? Do they go to the gym or exercise, et cetera? Yeah, there's so so much to think about and it's so much more than just diagnosing caries and doing a filling or a crown. Um, (laughs) I I just want to ask a little little comment based on what you said before about adjunctive therapies, working with a physio, osteopath or a chiro. Um, Do these people have to have a special interest in TMJ? Do you find that you can refer to anyone and get a good result or do you really need to find the team that works yeah i find it's much better if you can find someone who really understands the tmj because just like in dentistry the tmj is 
a very niche field in dentistry. And in the physio, chiro, osteo world, it's TMD is a very niche field as well. Mm. Um, they are taught how to manage TMD a bit in their undergraduate training, though it may not be as specific compared to um, other parts of the body. And there are, for instance, physios who specialize in the neck or the shoulders or things like that. So it would be better if you can find someone who is more specialized in the TMJ field or who has a special interest in it. Though if you can't, I would, and you just have a local physio or chiro or osteo in the area, I'd still at least call them up, mention you have TMD patients that, or bruxism patients, you would want to refer to them just so that they have a heads up. And then you'll be able to gain um, gauged feedback yourself from your patient. You'll be able to ask your patient when you next see them, oh, how was the visit with so-and-so? Did the physio help? Yes or no? And if you're finding that mm, it's not really helping a lot, then I just choose the next person you can find in your area and see how they, how they do and refer the patient to them a few times and see how that goes. That's really good advice. And and what I'm hearing, I guess, the overall thing is that it's not as simple as just, you know, diagnosing bruxism and making a splint. Um, there's so many more levels that go into it. Is there anything mm. else you wanted to add around bruxism? Um, well, I guess just the most important thing is don't just – shove a splint in someone's mouth when you see a Bruxa. <laughs> um, always think a bigger picture and take it slow. So we're so used to seeing the caries or um, abscess and thinking we need to do something straight away. With Bruxism, don't jump in straight away. Take a step back and think Bruxism is a symptom or something else going on. Before I put the splint in his mouth, let's just um, ask a few questions, maybe refer to a few different people or refer for a sleep study if they are snoring or have any sleep issues. And the patient can wait one or two weeks or even a month if they need to get a bit more information to make a proper diagnosis. And then they'll appreciate even more when you do um, make them that splint or something else. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. Well, I want to say thank you so much um, for sharing that with us on the Dental Head Start podcast. And if people want to learn more about that, um, sleeptmjstudyclub.teachable.com, they can find all the information that you're sharing. Thank you so much, Damien. No worries, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. 